And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, you would speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Um, over the summer, when we were not on the face of the sun, like some of you were, and uh, we were on sabbatical, we visited a number of churches um, uh, from different denominations uh, uh, where we found ourselves. And uh, it was great to be a member of the congregation. It was nice to not be in charge. Um, and the churches we went to, we went to because we had friends in, in various forms of leadership. And one of the big observations I think that I made, or that certainly we, Rachel and I, came up with, was that we had concern for the leaders of these churches, mainly our friends, and really of, of where they were in terms of their emotional and spiritual health. Because I suddenly realized that if God answered their prayers, um, they wouldn't really have the margin or the practices in place that would sustain what they're asking God to do. Um, you know, it's one thing to pray for revival, but if it comes and you're already on the edge of burnout, what do you do then? You know, how do you deal with the growth and all that kind of stuff? Um, and if you have your bulletins with you, I'd like you to turn um, to page 10. So on page 10, you'll find our vision and our values. And if you look at our values of authenticity, hospitality, wholeness and healing and rootedness um, and, and mystery, you see that at St. Bart's, we really wanna make sure that there is, if you take the imagery of a vineyard, that there's a trellis that is being built out of a number of things. One is community. One is um, putting into practice the spiritual rhythms of grace that can really help us learn how to pray and, and grow in our relationship with Jesus. But also, as we look at wholeness, also that, that emotional health so that we can actually have what we need to support what God is doing. And so, um, in full disclosure, this is the first year in 20 years of ordained ministry where we haven't launched a massive, you know, like um, alpha course or, or ministry program, and that is intentional. Um, it's intentional because we really feel that in order to be ready for what God's going to do for the rest of the year, we just needed to slow down and, and, and grow in a different way uh, as a staff, but also as a church. But going slow is challenging. I don't know how many of you are good at going slow. When I get bored, I watch 
pick one to nine of the Fast and the Furious. You know, in my mind, I live a quarter mile at a time. You know, speed racing. I don't speed race. But, you know, if we travel at the speed that Jesus traveled at three miles an hour, our hearts can catch up with what we've been going through. Sometimes that's wonderful. Sometimes it's not. Often it's a mix. And it feels countercultural. But I, we really believe, I really believe, that if we can find a, a, a place as a church where we really have a strong um, trellis of rhythms of grace, then come what may, we'll be able to hold true to what God has called us to be, which is a community marked by his presence and his love. And so we turn, on that note, we turn to a fascinating passage about anger. Anger, and I, I'm not a mental health professional, um, and so I'm going to give you a, a very simple uh, definition of what the emotion anger is about, but anger is a powerful emotion. And it really serves a couple of purposes. When we get angry, it's because we feel we haven't been treated the way we deserve to be treated. Ask anyone with a teenager, right? Or a child, or what have you, right? Anger's triggered, but it also lets us know that a boundary has been trespassed, or a boundary has been broken. What anger does is it gives us the energy we need to put that boundary back in place. I discovered anger in January of, golly, it was right before the pandemic started. What year was that? It was like 20 years ago now, it feels. Uh, and I remember just, I've been feeling very, I'd be in situations where I would just feel really weird. And something would come over me, and there was like this weird blah, and I didn't know what to articulate it, but I wasn't myself. And I found my mind going places, and I finally met with, he really should be sainted if we believed in, you know, making living people saints. Um, my therapist, um, I, I was explaining to him what I was feeling. He says, oh, that's anger. I said, no, it's not. I've never had anger issues. He said, yeah, you have. You've just never had anyone help you understand what you feel. I was like, oh, okay, great. How do I get rid of it? He says, well, you can't. God's made you in such a way to be angry. But here's the thing. We're going slow as a church so that we can consecrate ourselves to God. What does that mean? Fancy term, uh, often misused. To consecrate something is to take the ordinary and to set it apart for God's purposes. When you consecrate anger, as we'll see Jesus does here, often when people get angry, they're in the grip of anger, and it's messy. But what we're going to see Jesus model for us here is that he was never in the grip of anger, but he always kept anger in his grip, which I think is fascinating. And so if you are here and, you know, anger is something that's been on the, you know, flashing light on the dashboard, you're in good company. But Jesus shows us a way that even those of us who don't feel like we ought to be able 
to uh, come in boldly into the presence of God, Jesus actually shows us that there is a way and there's an invitation. So let's turn to our passage. We're in Matthew 21. It's in your bulletins. And uh, what's incredible is here is that Jesus enters the temple. Now, this isn't the first time that he'd visited the temple. He probably throughout his life visited the temple multiple, every Passover since he was 13 or 12. And each time would hear the cacophony of mooing, of bleating, and shouting that often accompanied the sounds of the money changers. And because in that day the only clean money was money that the Jews uh, used, people who came from all over the known world at the time had to exchange their money so that they could buy overpriced animals to present as an offering to God. You know, we're before PayPal, we're before Zelle, all that kind of stuff. Um, But what may have most angered Jesus was that all of this happened in the courts of the Gentiles. The only place where non-Jews could come to pray and discover who God was like. And instead of creating a quiet place of prayer, the Jews had turned it into a loud, smelly marketplace. The temple wasn't being treated the way it was meant to be. Jesus sees that a boundary has been broken. The things aren't happening the way they were designed. And so as Jesus enters the temple that day, we have the, the, you know, the brief version, but all four gospels cover this. He grabs pieces of rope, loose tethers and baggage cords and begins to plait them into a rope. Um, And then, without warning, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, turns into a cyclone of activity. Imagine the disciples, you know, eyes popping. It just would have been very different than they experienced. He swings his whip, he drives out the cattle, the sheep, the oxen, and their owners from the busy courtyard. Then he pours out the coins of the money changers, flips over the tables, and forces the stunned men to make a quiet exit. And to those selling doves, he says, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And in the midst of a rampage, with every eye on the rabbi gone mad, Jesus, and let's not miss this, what does he say? Stop turning what, the temple? No. This holy place? No. My father's house. So in the midst of this emotional display, we see something very important about Jesus, of how he identified with the temple. And it isn't in a composed, well-prepared moment of teaching, but in the throes of righteous anger. He's speaking from the gut, and he calls the temple my father's house, and which is significant because in first century Israel, the temple was the most revered building on earth. The Jewish people believed that it was literally the house of Yahweh, the place where God's presence dwelt, the house God lived in. There were cleansing rituals required just across the threshold and restricted access be, uh, be increased the nearer you got to the center. Even most priests could enter the innermost room because in ancient Hebrew spirituality, the temple was the presence of God. What does Jesus do? He calls it home. 
Fascinating. In the presence of a God who made even the priests go tense, Jesus was at home. And if you look at all four, you see that Jesus never lost control of himself. He wasn't in the grip of anger. Instead, he kept anger in his grip. He demonstrated restraint by not releasing the doves in the temple court. Why is that important? If any of the other animals had been set free, the owners, it would take a while. I don't know if you've ever tried to tip a cow or chase after a cow. I may have. My parents are watching, so I won't. I'll be careful what I, I, I confess. But, or if you've ever chased after, I mean, I remember the first time we went to the rodeo and uh, we watched kids do mutton busting. I mean, you know, chasing after livestock is not easy. But this is what's happening as Jesus kicks this, all the this stuff up and he puts the boundary back in is that as hard as it would be, the other animals set free could be rounded up and the money recollected. But if Jesus had released the doves, they would have flown away. And so the anger that Jesus displays in his father's house in the temple is clean anger because there is no loss suffered. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't actually sin against anyone. He does it cleanly. Jesus expresses clean anger because while, yes, business was disrupted, no one suffered a loss of property. Which leads us to a recent, I don't know if it was a pastoral crisis or if it was a controversy, pick your label. But upon coming back from sabbatical, we discovered that a, an innovative practice had begun to happen at St. Bart's around the children's ministry. And it is, of course, our heart that the children would um, feel at home at the church. But the trading and exchanging of Pokemon cards <laughs> literally led to some members of the children's church, not the leaders, the leaders seemed very happy for all of this to happen, but some of the children came to me and said, are we doing what they did in the temple? Is this holy Luke, are we disrupting the, you know, is this, is this bad? And of course I said, well, are you tithing? <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works. Okay, and we kind of talked about it, and then I ran out of things to say, so I brought in J.D. Lemming, you know, who's volunteering as our youth, and we talked together, and, and uh, you know, we sided on the fact that this is not a detestable practice, which is great because all the families would have left the church. Um, but it was the opposite. That church should become a place for our children to feel at home. And I don't know if you know this, but on any given Sunday, 40% of the congregation is made up of children under the age of 11 and 50% of that number have a vested interest in Pokemon cards. <laughs> and if you've ever seen a child, we've yet to receive a Pokemon card in the offering plate. <laughs> and that's the point. Jesus is furious 
Because the one system that was meant to bring the good news of the gospel to the people who needed it most had turned it into a business where they were making money. And in so doing, they were preventing the people who needed Jesus access to the Father. They were preventing them from coming to him. And so, but he doesn't fly off the handle. He keeps a grip on his anger and he corrects the wrong. What about you when you pray? How do your prayers start? You know, a lot of people, and this is great, I, I do it. You say, dear God. But when you pray, what's the expression that you imagine on God's face? Who are you exchanging glances with? Do you ever think what might be going through God's mind? What mood's he in? I know from talking to some of you coming into the living room, after school, sometimes as a child, you had to look to see what kind of mood your parent was in, because that would tell you whether it was a time to talk or just to leave them alone. Have you ever started your prayers by saying, dear God, sorry to bother you? Or dear God, I know you're really busy with multiple wars around the world, but? Or maybe, dear God, I know I haven't stopped by in a while, but here I am. The scriptures tell us over and over again that the Lord is near. But I, for a long time, believed that the Lord wasn't near. Anybody remember call waiting? I know, back almost when we had rotary dial telephones. And the lie that I believed was that God had forgotten me or that he just wasn't interested in me, that I'm not in good hands, that my future isn't secure, and it's the worry that at the end of the day, this God, near or far, can't be trusted, or maybe that he's something less than who he promises to be. And then you've heard, you know, I, I don't know how I got through set, that first year of seminary, but it was the patience of a Christian community that introduced me to the Jesus of the scriptures that changed everything. And Jesus says here, my father's house. That profound, and it, it really is a profoundly different starting place, isn't it, than dear God. Jesus is my father's house. And this is, this is the place where Jesus' prayers emerge from and the one simple assurance that fills our prayers with power is the belief that the Lord is near. But if we go too fast, if we fill our lives with activity, we don't slow down enough to see him. And we lose perspective on just how near he is. The Lord is near. And he wants you and he wants me to be at home in his presence. Do you feel at home in his presence? Do you feel disqualified in some way? 
Because again, if you do, that is something that Jesus is looking to correct because the one place where the disqualified who weren't Jewish could come is the place that he sorts out so that all could come to him. And ultimately, he finishes that work on the cross where his body is broken so that you and I can be at home, can find a home in his presence. So, as I close, the invitation is not to pray as you can't, but to pray as you can. And I've found, I've, I've, I've stolen, plagiarized, I'm just gonna, this is not my original idea, but it's, it's something that I've started doing that I've found incredibly helpful, which is um, having done this process called The Artist's Way, one of the practices is called daily pages, where when you get up, you write three stream of consciousness pages at the very start of the day. It doesn't have to make sense, it's not for anyone else to read, but for me, that practice of disorganized, discombobulated, I'm jumping, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But to me, that has become, I think, an incredible place of prayer. And because I've written it down, I realize it's happened. What works for you? Some of us here today are super aware that a boundary's been crossed and you, you have anger, and that's okay. And you may need help, and that's good. We were never designed to get through this on our own. We were designed to get through this life in community. My suggestion would be to start by after you receive Holy Communion, to receive prayer ministry at the back. Maybe like me, you just grew up never really knowing what that was. You just realized that over time you felt weird at moments. But being able to label something is hugely powerful because once you know what it is, then you can start to think about how can I get help to do it? Because Jesus was able to keep a grip on anger, he's made a way for us to health, healthily handle anger and to do it cleanly. We also have a host of resources with regards to counselors, all that kind of stuff. If you need help, that is something we, we would really count as an honor to help you with. Maybe you don't feel at home. Going slow is hard because our hearts catch up. And maybe you're feeling that your heart has caught up to something that you don't really enjoy what you're feeling. And the church has always been designed to be a safe place to experience uncomfortable feelings. Now leaders have taken advantage of that, but we won't. Because we're gonna, that's why I took you to our vision of values on page 10 of our bulletin. And so how does God take the ordinary and set it aside for his purposes? Well, he's given us this place, this seat at a table, as it were, where we're invited not to the kiddie table, but to the main table to sit 
at a place of honor and to receive from him his body and his blood. And so as you come forward for communion, and this may be powerful for some, this may be the thousandth time for others, I treat it as an act of consecration, really, which means, Lord, I'm giving you my ordinary feelings, my ordinary life, and I need your help. And as I come to the table, I'm putting all this stuff down and asking that you would take all that I have and help me set it aside for you. And then he gives us, by his presence, food for the road. He gives us his bread, the bread and the wine, his body and his blood, his presence that we could take what we've received today to get us to next week. There's some controversy of how long the charge lasts. Some people can go for a couple weeks without receiving communion. Others, like me, need it more regularly. That's a bit tongue-in-cheek in case you didn't pick up on it. The Lord is in here. We say it most Sundays. And so this Sunday, as we come to the table, we say, the Lord is near, his spirit is with us. And I say, lift up your hearts. It's everything that's in your heart. The good, the bad, the strange, the things you don't know why they're there. And he longs to receive it and to meet you there. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. Thank you, Jesus, for this example you've given us. Thank you that you invite us to be at home in your presence. We thank you for our children, for the way that they feel at home here, like really at home. And that's you, and we celebrate that for you. And our prayer is, as we prayed earlier this morning, that in 30 years' time, they would feel at home in your presence. Would you minister to us as we turn to the rest of the service? Would you inspire our hearts and make a way for us to follow your example, Jesus? That as we behold you, we may become like you. And that we would all grow in wholeness and in healing. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.